furries can create their own animal character. I love it, known as a fursona. <laughs> and then someone put a horse headdress thing on her and everyone turned around and went, oh, look at the pretty pony. And she, she looked around and went, trick trot, trick trot, trick trot, trick trot, trick just as I've said that. I'm in, I'm in the studio with Tanya Coons, one of my favourite people, our resident sexologist, pleasure therapist, pleasure activist, yes. and brilliant human. And today we are oh. talking about fetishes. Tanya, welcome. Thank you, Maya. Always good to be in. And in the studio, it's so exciting. We don't get to do it enough. I know. I get to gaze upon your magnificence. It's awesome. <laughs> now, before we get started, as always, the text line's open. If you have a cursory thought question, 0409-945-945 is the number, so don't be shy. Do it. You know you want to. Yes. Now, before we go and deep dive in, let's take things back, Tanya, to the basics. What is a fetish? Walk us through it. What is a fetish? A fetish is a specific thing that a person finds arousing. Okay, it's usually um, an arousal by a non-specific, so non-genital, sorry, a specific but non-genital body part or an object. Mm -hmm. I, I saw a show once about people who got turned on by, there was someone who wanted to marry the Eiffel Tower. Oh, right? yes. Yes, you saw that show? Yes. And someone who liked fairground toys, uh, rides used to grind on the gears and all sorts of things. So that's part of it. <laughs> uh, it might be, um, so people have often heard of a foot fetish, you know, people who get turned on by feet or touching feet. But there can be all different types of fetishes. There's like a nylon fetish. There's tons. I mean, I guess if you can think of it, there can be a fetish of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a friend once told me a story about going to a kink club and someone, what did they do? They ate a can of sardines and said, will you kiss me? That was their fetish. I was like, <laughs> yum. Right, okay. But, you know, <laughs> each to their own. Mm. Um, and what about a kink? What's the difference between a fetish and a kink? So I feel like they're often intertwined. They are, and they can be, but a kink is a sexual activity that deviates from the norm. It used to be called a sexual deviation, but then people changed the names to to kinks, fetishes, and they're often referred to as paraphilias mm. as well. They're the sort of more medicalized versions. Uh, some of those are illegal, things like pedophilia and hebophilia, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but then there are other things like, uh, what is it, Te telephone scatology, you know, that's people who do um, prank calls, uh, sexy phone callers. Uh, there's gerontology, people who are aroused by older people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's a whole, there's, there's just... There's lots and lots and lots and lots of um, kinks and fetishes. So a fetish is a kink, but not all kinks are fetishes. There you go. Mm. Now, how do fetishes develop? Because I've seen and read bits of pieces and it seems like there's this gospel almost to suddenly develop a fetish that maybe someone hasn't had before. Oh. <laughs> Really? That's so interesting. I was watching John Waters' film on the weekend called A Dirty Shame, which was exactly that. They were looking for a sex act that had never been performed before. It was <laughs> hilarious. And I was like, all right, uh, interesting in prep for this. I, I think fetishes develop um, when people are young. A lot of the literature says it happens in childhood or adolescence, and they're, they're kind of controlled by 
there's a high eroticism, but there's also secrecy and shame. Mm. So I think when I was studying, the example we were given was uh, maybe a young boy or uh, early teen boy who masturbates for the first time and the washing just happens to be nearby and they touch nylon. So they develop a nylon fetish. Mm. So it can be like that. Often... It's often things that are on our shadow side as well. So I find it really interesting that things that are not approved of in society can pop up in the shadow side in terms of fetishes or sexual fantasies. For example, being told from a young age, um, boys do not wear dresses, can pop up in a kink or a fetish of finding wearing of dresses really highly arousing. Mm. So it's the shadow side pops up into fantasies and kinks. So I think it's it, that's generally it. But, I mean, people can discover things. Happy days when you discover something that you really like. And that can be your whole life. You can discover things in your 70s or 80s if that's when you're discovering it and going, oh, wow, this is really arousing and or I, I need this. Mm. Now, here is where I want to dial down a little bit more because we've discussed, like, fetishes and kinks on the shows before, but I think yeah. something we've not necessarily honed too far into which is what we're going to do today is this question of do people with fetishes need the fetish involved to enjoy sex or do they always have to be sexual what's your take tanya uh i love this question actually because it's associated with with sex but no it doesn't have to be um it really depends sometimes the fetish can be a major turn-on sometimes it's a prerequisite for arousal. So we were talking about, you know, people who like the fair ride carnival things and and the Eiffel Tower. Great. But um, <laughs> sometimes it's a fetish is a strong devotion to something. You know, people uh, follow the football and get very excited and aroused by it, but not sexually, right? Totally. So there are sexual fetishes and non-sexual fetishes, but they're obsessive, I think. So uh, I think, the, yeah, the... The most common use of the word fetish is probably the sexual meaning. Like, yeah, we talked about it, a foot fetish or a pleasure from being seen around or even thinking about feet can turn them on. Um, but I think what about people who like football or what about people who have, a, I call it a donut fetish? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost like a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and people, people really get obsessed and like things. And I, it's not incorrect to refer to that as a fetish whether they get aroused or not is another thing and you know i think too in lots of communities there's the fetishization of uh, body types or yeah. race you know a lot of people are like oh like asian girls it's like ooh, what is that and um it sort of can come back into the world of fetish mm. so how you know like what is good about that? What's not good about that? How careful are we? I mean, there there are lots of um, larger figured girls who are fetishized by folks who are into curves and things like that. And I, you know, I have a lot of conversations with people because what's the line between what you're attracted to or having a type versus mm. fetishizing someone? Right? Yeah. So it might be like I can only date people who are over a certain weight and look like this and do that, that might be the fetishizing. If it's, I like curvy girls, you know, um, maybe that's what you like. We've been chatting about the differences between a fetish and a kink and kind of scratching the surface on that idea of non-sexual fetishes. But Tanya, if someone only engages with a fetish, which we've identified can be like an obsession or a hobby or something that you just really enjoy... Is it still a fetish? 
Yeah, it, a fetish is, is merely obsessive behaviour. That's all, right? And because it's, uh, you know, I think people tend to pay more attention to it if it's arousing or erotic or things like that. It's much more interesting, so people talk about that. Mm. But there are things uh, that I guess it's easier to translate that it's obsessive, like if you need this to arouse, then maybe that's a fetish. Yeah, mm. And it's easier to remember and think about it as that. Whereas other people... Like having having a donut fetish, like must have donuts at all times, must go to every donut shop in the city when they're traveling, or ice cream fetish, I know people. Mm. Um, not so much. It's it's kind of interesting. But, yeah, that word's in my parlance often when I'm chatting to folks about what they like or maybe teasing my friends about having particular fetishes. Mm. Yeah. Um, one particular fetish I think that maybe is, like, extremely misunderstood in that sense is... Uh, furries. Carsit headdress recently, quote unquote, came out as a furry. Right. Um, what what is it? And yeah, I guess what yeah, what is it? What does it mean to be a furry? Are. Yeah, yeah. Um, furries. Yeah, they they exist as part of the kink community. Um, furries are people who've got an interest in anthropomorphic animals. That means animals with human qualities. So uh, they can walk, they, animals that can walk and talk and sing and dance are examples of anthropomorphic anthropomorphism. And so furries can create their own animal character. I love it, known as a fursona, <laughs> <laughs> which um, functions as their avatar in furry communities. They, they'll often have their own names as well. Mm. It's like anything, you know, uh, I don't know how many communities I've been in where I have different names and I'm known as those names. You know, I think we all have online names and personas now, um, but this is in that community. So while personas are each based on an animal, um, the, the they can often be a bit cartoon-like, you know, so people dress up. They, I think furries, it's kind of interesting because a lot of people get dressed up in actual furry stuff, but some people do. It's like an advanced form of cosplay. I, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah, and so people, furries represent their personas through art and writing, through online identities, as we were saying, uh, oh, I love it, in the in the creation of fursuits, there are um, like costumes depicting the animal's individual characteristics. So some are full costumes, others are partial. They might just always wear ears or tails or gloves. I've seen a lot of folks who always wear little ears. Um, yeah. I had a friend once who always wore a fox's tail, always, 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 pinned Cute. to their jeans. Yeah. Um, and they, that, that sort of furry fandom, that, that thrives in the online space as well. Uh, but there are little communities that they have meetups much like other groups in the kink community uh, where people all get dressed up or sometimes they don't, but, you know, they know that they're like-minded folk. Um, yeah, and yeah, what was it? Well, my research showed that it's pretty diverse community and pretty accepting. So a third of the furry community identifies as heterosexual and furries are five times as likely to identify as LGBTQIA right, than the general population. So it's definitely a thing. Um, but I hope that sort of sheds a little bit of light on it. There are communities, all kinds of ways of doing it. It's not just one thing. Mm. It's it's another like substrata into the, the kinky community. Yeah, I like that you use the words avatar and cosplay because I think that really highlights it that yeah. it's you know, no two people are the same. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at cosplay, is that sexual? Is that erotic? Is that arousing all the time? No. No, it's not. People, I mean, you can get dressed up sexy, but it does not have to be sexual. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 
if you have a furry fetish, yeah. is that the same as pony or puppy or kitten play as a fetish? What a good question. And uh, I think I could say that there are similarities, but I don't want to because people in each of these communities might be a little outraged. Mm. And, and I think that there are different things uh, in each community. So <laughs> one of the best and funniest uh, kink parties I ever went to was a pony play party where everybody dressed up as horses and handlers and mm-hmm. did all this stuff. It was the best to see grown-ass adults behaving in this wonderfully uh, free and almost childlike way. Um, yes, I think, uh, so there is the element, all of these communities have the element of dressing up. How they play that out can be different. And again, it can be sexual or non-sexual. Mm. I remember, I think, listening to Melina Williams, who's a very famous kink educator, and she does a lot of kink things. I think she used to be a performer because she's a very hilarious and eloquent uh, teacher of, right. of things kink. And she was like, what is this pony player stuff? Who wants to act like a horse? Blah, blah, blah. And then someone put a horse headdress thing on her and everyone turned around and went, oh, look at the pretty pony. And she she looked around and went, trit trot, trit trot, trit trot, trit trot, trit trot, got right into it because she was the centre of attention and loved exhibitionism. Right. So that was her um, introduction to pony play and it worked very well for her. Yeah. Right? Love that. No. Great story. No shame in the game. No. We're on Let's Talk About Sex. We're chatting fetishes, kinks. I'm with Tanya Coons. My name's Maya Billick. And if you've just joined us, we've been really discussing the interplay of a sexual or a non-sexual fetish. We've talked about furries. Um, we've talked about kitten play. But I want to ask you, Tanya, what is service in this space? What does it mean? Ah, service can be either sexual arousal or genuine pleasure or obsession in serving another. It often shows up in a master-slave relationship, not always. Um, It's doing things like cleaning somebody's house or making a cup of tea in a very specific way. So the dominant person or the master might say, I want you to make me a cup of tea, I want you to make Chinese oolang, I want you to use this pot this cup, I want you to brew it for so long. I want you to approach me with it, lay it down in front of me, kneel down, bow down, and don't say anything until I speak to you. And that service person will be like, oh, okay, I'd love to do that, right? That's kind of what it is. Uh, and often in a service relationship, the, the person providing the service will intuit what the person they're serving is after and, and aim to provide it, right? right. So it's like a, it's like a, yeah, I guess high-level slave and they're not being ordered around, but they're there. And that the service can be the reward in itself. It's definitely not necessarily sexual, this one. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing to be that thoughtful and to carry out instructions meticulously and to the letter. Mm. Do you feel like it's necessarily intertwined with uh, age play? Uh, no, no, it's not. Age play is a different thing. Age play can be... Adult baby diaper lovers or bigs and littles. Like um, it, it also can be daddy and little boy, little girl. Uh, so the adult baby diaper lovers, they are folks that like to act out as babies, wear diapers, and they want to be loved or disciplined by a mummy or a daddy. Mm-hmm. Right? It's that kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's way less sexual than people think. Often it's the role play. 
Um, bigs and littles are the role plays of those acting as caregiving adults and those who act as children, right? So you, your little can be any age, right? So, and I think there are subcategories within that as well. Um, they might have tea parties or do colouring in or have picnics or organise games. There might be some discipline involved or it might simply be caregiving role play. Mm. Um, I think a lot of folks are more familiar with the daddy side of things where that's role play. There's a lot more sexual dynamics in there for folks. Sometimes yeah. people play it out. But it can be very, you know, daddy, little girl uh, type role play or little boy. Um, and, yes, it's it's about the daddy doing the caregiving for the little. Mm. Um, sometimes I think, yeah, I went to a workshop where they're like, the, the baby girl can have a notebook where she writes down her thoughts and desires and leaves it around for the daddy to find and then provide in some way, right? So, And people can be bratty <laughs> and need disciplining. There's all sorts of ways that people can play it out. It's like an advanced role play, I think, a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So what if... I'm going to skip forward a couple questions. Yes. What if someone listening has a fetish that they want to bring up with their partner or they are aware that their partner has one and they don't and this idea of like broaching them about the conversation not only maybe they're telling them for the first time or they want to negotiate in the bedroom how that wants to come into play there yeah what's your advice oh yeah it's a it's a really tricky one because uh there's a lot of stigma and shame around sexual activities or things that people don't understand so like any topic, if you want to bring it up with your partner, do it gently and with respect. Set the conversation up. It's, you know, it's like, I'd like to talk to you about something that's important to me and it's, I will feel very vulnerable and I'd like you to try and hold your reactions or your emotions away from me when you're responding. So don't project them on me if you can. Um, so you want to make sure that you set up a good time to talk. It's not one to blurt out. Mm. Um, and then introduce the things that you might be interested in. You know, look at some online resources if you like to give to people. Prepare for whoever you're talking to about it to maybe not understand. But don't give up if your partner doesn't understand because these things are often fraught with shame and stigma. And you both might need some time to process. Right. So you can calmly, if you can, uh, dispel myths and validate fears and assure your partner they don't have to do anything that they don't want to. Uh, but also keep firm boundaries around any shaming behaviours that your partner might be like, you oh, know, that's disgusting. It's like, actually, no, it's yeah, not. that's it's not something welcome. that I'm interested in. Yeah. So be prepared for it to go well, though. It's surprising how supportive partners can be. People get very, very afraid of this sort of stuff. And make sure that you've got some support lined up, maybe another friend to debrief to, right? And leave some time to digest because just because you've said it doesn't mean you have to do it now. I think a lot of people are like, oh, what does it mean? Oh, my God. Ugh. Let it trickle in, ask some questions, come back to it, double back, that sort of stuff, right? Mm. And if your partner doesn't have a fetish, um, well, if you don't and your partner does, then listen and seek to understand. Right? Always seek to understand. Uh, notice your reaction. Try not to project it onto your partner. See if you can manage your reaction, like, oh, I'm feeling a bit scared. What does this mean? I'm going get, to get dressed up like a cat. I don't think I want to do that. Ooh. That's okay, right? It's okay to be wary of something that you don't understand, but it doesn't make it wrong. Mm. And it doesn't make your partner wrong. It just means that you don't know much about it and it's it's freaking you out. It's really okay, 
right? So if you can bring your curiosity as to how does this work for you? What do you like about it? Um, how do you feel when you're engaging in this kind of activity? Uh, is it erotic for you? Like, how does it work? That sort of stuff is really validating for your partner. And also you're going to learn some of the stuff that you, you don't understand. And somebody coming out to you or telling you about a fetish doesn't mean they're going to cheat on you. A lot of people are like, oh, my God, you're going to cheat on me if I don't <laughs> like it. It's like, no, 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 not at all. So it's a it, voice any fears or apprehensions that you might have. Do it gently. But, you know, really, this is a great opportunity to get to know your lover better in terms of your connection and how you handle it. Um, and, you know, you never know what you might discover for yourself. Well, I was just about to say, if if you've got an open mind and you're willing to give something a try, you might you might find you're completely missing out on something that you will enjoy. Absolutely. Possibilities are boundless. <laughs> Tanya, thanks so much for dropping by today, uh, chatting all about kinks and fetishes, how to approach them if you have one uh, with your partner or someone you are having some fun with, mm-hmm. um, different types of fetishes, sexual, non-sexual. It's always a blast having you here. So thanks so much for taking the time. It's always a pleasure to be in here, Mai. Thanks for having me. Thank you.